everyone to episode two of Dumpster Diving Intellectuals and I'm actually really excited for the guest today. It's my first guest on the show and once we get into conversation you will see why I had to rush him to the top of the list. I will let him introduce himself. I I feel like you don't need an introduction. You're so funny and yeah let's get into some garbage. And please don't cancel him. The views expressed on this podcast, I can't be a little high. Like, let's not start this way, guys. Let's not. Let's not. What's up, everybody? That's right. Hello, everybody. My name is Chris Mejia. Uh, It's your boy, Gang Gang. We out here. Being problem, I love I, this is the first time I have ever been introduced with this next guy's gonna get canceled. <laughs> I haven't even said anything. Wait, I'm a nice person. I haven't I haven't done anything. I'm don't worry, y'all. I'm not gonna be out here being like, let's reconsider January 6th. Like, I'm not gonna be out there saying anything like that. I'm a good person, I promise. But <laughs> I, you know what? Now now you done fucked up because you're lying. Because what did I say before we started recording? You were saying you got off the you know what. That's, I'm you know, not your I'm not your stenographer. Why don't you lead me into that concept? Right. So so <laughs> to do a mutual throwing each other under the bus, we were talking about how wow. we both we both have figures in the celebrity world. Which okay, huh, not just us. Everybody, even you, yes. listener, listening to this podcast, everybody has a celebrity figure that is by our standards of society, problematic in some way, shape, or form. If you yes. really want to play a high horse game, everybody follows someone who's probably now. I'm not saying that that you still you'll still cape for, you'll still consume 1, their media. And I'm yep. not talking to the level of like have actually committed a not Mel Gibson. Crime. Yeah, yeah, not <laughs> if like you're that. caping for Mel Gibson, yikes. Yeah, that's I'm talking about like problematic in the way of like you would be a little hesitant to tell people, yeah, I still consume, like, I still watch Guardians of the Galaxy, even though Chris Pratt's in it. Like, stuff like that. Ooh, well. (laughs) And, you know, you've, uh, yours is Tom Cruise. It, it, it is. I would have liked to have shared that with my audience on my own time, but but you talk about mutual throwing under the bus. I kind of, you know, nudged you and you picked mm-hmm. me up and threw me. So this is great. Well, no, okay, here, I'll, I'll throw myself off the cliff. Mine, not anymore, but mine for the longest time was that I got off the Kanye West train a little too late. And what's a little too late? I we do don't have not... rights to the JoJo song, so don't. I don't want to get sued. We do not have rights to the JoJo song. It's too little, too late. I did not get off the Kanye train when he said slavery was a choice. Ooh, I'm triggered. <laughs> that that was the respectable time to be like, okay, I don't want to see what the next stop is. I'm getting off now. I, <laughs> When he started busting out the red hat, I was like, I wasn't defending it. I want to be clear. I wasn't defending it. I was like, that period of time felt very much like you started dating someone and they seem to be like the soulmate you've always been wanting and things Mm -hmm. are great. You're like official. You've posted them to your grid. You're saying you're using terminology. You're not just saying (laughs) someone I'm talking to. You're you're Ooh. planning trips together. Whoa, to- whoa, whoa, whoa. You told your homie, like, yo, I got a plus one to the wedding. <laughs> and then after finding that out, you realize, oh shit, he listens to Andrew Tate. It was like <laughs> Yeah, that's jarring. I mean, the whiplash alone. And you're like, listen, I'm not, I'm disappointed. Like, I'm really disappointed, but you know, I can change him. I can, I, I, I can, I can change him. <laughs> Turns out you cannot Please, change Kanye I West. I know him. I know him. Like I'm going to put the Kiki Palmer soundbite in there. <laughs> yeah. Guys, I know him. Ooh. I love him. I, I, know, I know him, y'all. I just, know just him. him. Just him. I know this man. 
Kiki girl, hang in there. <laughs> hang real. in there, girl. I mean, she's you literally describe her situation. She done had mm-hmm. a baby with this man, and then now yeah. she's realizing, oh, he's a hotep. <laughs> but hang continue. in there, girl. And I want to clarify, I wasn't like adamantly going out of my way to listen to Kanye. I was like, he was still in the rotation every now and then, but I was decreasing right, right. the amount that I was listening because I knew it was inevitable. Right. You don't just start with Trump stuff and then be like, everything else about me is saying it was only a matter of time. So by the time all of the incredibly anti-Semitic stuff, which a homie of mine, uh, shout out to Armando Torres, very funny comedian based out of Austin. He has a nice. podcast about cults and did a series <gasps> on the cult that is Kanye West fandom. And he's a big Kanye fan. And one of the ep- the final episode of the series was about Kanye West anti-Semitism. And has this really been a recent thing or was it always there and we just never noticed? And he was like, yeah, that episode was a big bummer to make because it was always there. And it was just it, the industry. Yeah. It was an industry kept secret. And then it finally came out. And I mean, I believe he went and sold, didn't his gospel album come out after he said slavery is a choice? I believe so. And that became yes. one of his highest grossing tours. It was nominated for a Grammy. You had Kirk Franklin, the gospel P. Diddy, caping for yeah. Kanye. Like they didn't care of his misogynistic hotep foolery until. Yeah. Yeah. It was either yay it was like right after yay or like right around the gospel album but it was definitely like oh no 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 it was the gospel album because the yay album was when he was doing wild shit but it was like ah oh, you know kanye like you, oh, you know you know kanye and yeah. then it got to a point where it was like all right kanye you know you can stop anytime <laughs> <laughs> so then now now i'm a i'm, a, I'm not i'm not a kanye fan any, anymore if it's out in public and I hear it, like I'll jam to it, or whatever. But I don't go out of my way to like listen to him anymore, which bums me out because he his music got me through so much shit in my life. Yeah, and like his life story of just like yes, he was a super egotistical dude, but no, but that's fa- trauma. But the fact trauma. that like because he believed himself when no one else will, that's literally the only reason why he made it as a rapper because he did not stop advocating for himself. And as yep. someone trying to make it an entertainment world, that's very inspirational. But but when it with that coupled with emotional ineptitude and not having a yeah. therapist creates Kanye. And he you, clearly for a long time stopped having the right people surrounding him. Of course. And when you have too many yes people around you, your behavior is not going to go unchecked. And and also I, the level of capital. He when he became a billionaire, it was just it was dark. Yeah, yeah. Because then at that point, who's going to tell you no when they're going to be like, Ex- well, you know, I, I I'm trying to get some money from this guy. So when th- exactly, like a lot of people blame his turnaround on the Kardashians. To be honest, I don't think it's that. I, I, I think it they, it was low hanging fruit for the Kardashians yes. because of just their track history. But I agree with you there. Like you said, it was like the seasoning on an already right. bad plate of food that was already right. brewing. So that is, if you're upset at me, I understand. <laughs> well, this I, I is this, well, this is a safe space. The, the okay. hour that I have you, it's a uh, guilty pleasure reform. We're not, you know, going to be apologists, but mm. uh, again, it's like having a critical eye and there's nuance. I think both multiple things can exist at the same time and folks negotiate what the line is. Obviously you were saying earlier, it was always there. There are folks who finally jumped off at anti-Semitism, but we do that shit all the time. I I mean, I did jump off when he said slavery is a choice, Mm -hmm. but only because my soulmates or who I thought my perceived soulmate, I turned my entire life around. I Mm -hmm. was going to go uh, get my PhD in Boston to move in with him. And our last fight or second to last fight, he's saying, you know, like Kanye was right. Slavery is a choice. Uh, And then we were talking about trafficking survivors and people who've uh, dealt with gender-based violence. And I was like, whoa, your mom 
your dad abused your mom and you're saying that just because the door was there and she didn't turn the knob that and I should have known and wow you know what let's just cancel me because I did stay with him after that just (laughs) listen listen because again the nuance is like okay you love someone and then they throw that curveball and Mm -hmm. your brain's trying to fucking short circuit or or try to find a way to make this make sense or to give them benefit of the doubt and again it was always there but it took him breaking up with me through text for me to realize Mm -hmm. oh he's a trash human being yeah and Listen. he turned the moving in as to, like, I had put myself in storage. Like, I bought my ticket. I have the date. He has the date. He's telling me all the stuff. He's getting ready in the apartment. And when I say, so what's the uh, logistics for when I come in? He's like, sorry, I can't have guests at my place right now. <laughs> this, is, this would be a great time for a soundbite. And yes, I have two therapists. Shout out to Evelyn and Jeremia. Thanks so much. It's been a great four years. Yo, not even Future can come up with a line like that. <laughs> God damn. Oh, wait, can I cuss? Can I swear? Oh, okay. We opened with Kanye. Like, come on. Come on. Okay. All right. Fair. That was a tough question. Yeah. Holy shit. That's wow. That is also, first and foremost, people out there. Unless you barely know this person, don't break up for your text. And two, unless unless your physical safety would be in jeopardy. Oh, fact. Outside of that instance. Right. If your if your physical safety is not in danger, you know what? Text that's childish. If you're gonna go that route, send an email. Yes. Or you know what? Send a letter. Next day, ship it. You write it down because at yeah, least they're gonna be like okay well at least they took they put an effort in this low exactly. effort way to break up with me you know we underestimate shame and we underestimate just the burden of letting someone doubt or hurting someone mm-hmm. and there's a thin line of what's like narcissistic like not wanting to be perceived as a bad person being mm-hmm. the reason why you're disrespecting me that's not that's a cop-out that's you're spineless but I agree with you I I Oh, and just because I'm already there, he was my ex-fiance and he's the reason why, and he had an affair with my best friend and I lost my mind and I moved to Seattle. See, good segue into, into us. (laughs) Yo, your life plays out like a Tyler Perry film. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? And... This season of the podcast is Cinematic Universes, and Tyler Perry's number is episode six. So, you're... <laughs> I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to read you like that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, you're not reading. I, I'm just trying to decide if I should hire you as PR or like a uh, producer. Like, I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot happening right now. Oh, trying to man. bring us back to the episode. And so, that was a hard left into. Weird coincidences of us. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's actually, uh, speaking of coincidence, it is a weird coincidence because you used to live in Seattle. I currently live in Seattle. And through us meeting via social media and talking to each other via social media, we both found out we went to the same college. Was it the same time that we went? I believe there was overlap. And there was a little bit of overlap, I think. And what was the time frame that you were there? I started in 2010 and graduated 2014. Yes, I graduated 2013. Okay, yeah. So there was a, there was a lot of there's yeah, significant so just, overlap. The amount of coincidences. I now I'm worried that I, I'm going to have a future partner who's going to cheat on me <laughs> with a best friend. So hopefully, no, don't. Hopefully that doesn't and, happen. But. And you know what's so funny? Like, I've referenced this story so many times when I had my uh, first podcast, RRP, Unpaid Emotional Labor. But the way she told her husband, and guys, if you're still wondering, yes, there are evil people out there. Evil people are born and made. I don't know where I'm going with this. But she told her husband, hey, so I think of this person when I'm having sex with you and we've been having an affair. Yo, 
you're killing me, Chris, Yo. you're killing me. And this was in a church cult. So <laughs> this is just a lot. <laughs> I'm trying to decide if I should stop recording. <laughs> I, I, okay, listen, I'm assuming this person, this evil person is, is a dude, yeah. I'm assuming. The, my ex-fiance? Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, it was this. Okay, it was the same. Okay, and I, I, my best friend. That's how she told her husband. Oh, oh, because oh, she was because she was okay. married. Yes. Yo, she shout told out. Him. You know what? Shout out. Yeah, uh, women can do bad things too. Representation matters. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I don't think we had that in mind during the walk on Washington or the pussy march, but you know what? It tracks, it fits. We can slide that in there. Listen, y'all gotta play catch up. We putting up too many numbers on the board. Us, us men, y'all gotta catch up on the toxic <laughs> shit. All right. No, See, like y'all, y'all doing too low scale toxicity. You gotta <laughs> up your game. <laughs> if your life's not a Tyler Perry movie, is it worth living? Holy shit. That is, it's dark. It's, it's, it's dark. That is, that's, I, wow, <laughs> just, wow, I, like, I can't, com- I can't comprehend, maybe I've just done too much therapy where I can't comprehend doing something like that. Like, I feel like once you reach a certain level of personal growth you have too many checks and balances in your 1, in your mental and emotional where you're like that's crazy that you couldn't I'm even not, conceive it exactly you wouldn't even conceive the fact that she just did it and was like i right, i'm gonna go get thai food like, she's like <laughs> you want me to pick you up anything from Publix? okay i bet hey I'm don't go finish stranger stuff. things without me like i'm sorry what that's like okay so that's like my ex my last relationship uh-huh. Uh, was a very was a relationship that when I described to people what happened to me afterwards, my like my homies were like, "Hey man, I don't want to make the wrong assumptions." And like you know how when someone hurts you and you're telling people, but you're still in love with them, you frame it in a way where you're trying to still make them look good. Yeah. So <laughs> I have two I, therapists, Chris. I have two therapists. Okay, yeah, yeah. We we what have trauma. Uh, so. <laughs> I was doing that. And even with doing that, my homies were like, Chris, it sounds like you went through a lot of emotional abuse. And there's a lot of things that like, you know how it is when you say shit. And then when you're saying it out loud to someone, you're like, oh, that's bad. Oh, 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 that's oh, that's bad. Like, I remember she she had a history of cheating on her boyfriends. Okay, And she told me that she realized she would cheat because she hated feeling feelings and emotions and hated talking about emotions. And when the relationships were going south, she wanted to avoid a conversation about emotions so much that she would cheat. So then that way it would get out of having to talk about emotions and just instantly be like, oh, I'm the villain, break up with me. We don't have to have a talk about our emotions and feelings. That is I heard that and I was like, yeah, this is the person for me. Yeah, I know her. I know her. <laughs> or like, I remember the, her ex who broke up with her because she cheated on him. Mm-hmm. That same week, she got kicked out of his house. She met Jesus. me and started dating me. Uh, uh, and uh, I, when she ended up buying a house and when she bought a house and it was final, she asked me, she asked me, she was like, Chris, would you be? And apparently like her and her ex, they would on rare occasion text small things like, oh, hey, I saw this and it may- reminded me of your dog. I hope you're doing well. Like things like that. She showed me. Right. It wasn't full blown conversations, but I also, I admit I can get jealous, but I knew yeah. if I want this relationship to thrive, I have to trust. I have to allow myself to get hurt. So I, I didn't ask too many questions because I knew it was just going to make me this jealous person. I don't know if that was smart or bad, but. No, I mean, you're allowed to give them a doubt until you see it's a pattern. Right. You, you didn't have anything to compare it to like she's done this before. But she told me she would. Now, apparently this ex 
she was an avoidant attachment style. He was also yeah. avoidant attachment style. And that apparently that meant things weren't going well and they had problems and all of that. And when she secured the house, I remember the first day we were there, we were just mm-hmm. chilling on the floor and she looked at me and she was like, Chris, because I've been, I've been talking to my ex, asking him questions about buying a house since he's bought a house before and I was wanting his advice. Um, right. Now that I got the house, would you be okay? I'm not going to do this if you're not okay with it, but would you be okay if I texted him about the house that I got? Because I want to brag that I got a bigger house that costs less money than the house that he got. So let's recap. She wanted the text. The ex that broke up with her because she cheated on him to rub in his face that she bought a bigger house for less money. And I was like, and sure, wanted babe. your permission and wanted your permission and wanted my permission. And I was like, sure, babe, rubbing in his face. You deserve it. And then you go to your therapist. Look, Deborah, look at how grown uh, I am. Shout out to my uh, the therapist who I was seeing at the time. LaShawn, he does not know that happened. Look, Lush, and uh, I guess that's why you said former. I think, I think that's no, nah, exactly. I started because that relationship was falling apart. I started mm-hmm. seeing a sex therapist and it just got <gasps> to the point where seeing two therapists at the same time was too much. That's I have a sex therapist. Oh, shout out <laughs> gang gang out here working through okay. our shit. I you know, honestly, I never considered it, it a thing. And I always thought, oh, that's for people who went through actual sexual trauma. I haven't gone through that, so I don't need it. And then mm-hmm. my ex, she was a big fan of the show Sex Education on Netflix and when right. watching that show, I was like, oh, I'm already a huge love therapy, love mental health, all that shit. So when I started watching the show, I'm like, oh, sex therapy is just regular therapy. You're just talking about relationships and dating and yeah. sex. And I was like, mm-hmm. I could benefit from this. And also I was like trying to do a last ditch effort to try to save our relationship. Right. Because I thought I was the problem when in actuality, it's like, hey, when you have a partner who doesn't communicate their needs and just expects you to read their mind all of the time, and then when you don't, yells at you at the top of their volume uh, for every little thing that you're doing wrong, so much to the point where you wake up thinking, what is she going to be mad about today? And then you look oh. at your phone and you find text messages of her being mad at you about something. And then also lets you know that keep saying oh. that you're not being, you're not meeting her needs and intimacy but then when you ask <gasps> what is she wanting she just says her exes were better but then doesn't provide any examples of what to do you start to think oh the problem is me i need to see a sex therapist uh god so like the show inspired me to do that and i finally saw her and then it was just too much to see both at the same time so oh Lashawn and okay yeah okay. so i switched to who i still see to this day my sex therapist who shout out she's a white lady i was a little nervous at first but shout out to Austin, you one of the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of growth I've had because of her since last September. Yeah. And I, I'm sure you probably went through the same thing of like, I've been, there's like shit where I'm just now as a 31 year old, I'm like, oh fuck, I didn't realize this is a thing. And this is why I do this thing. Okay, yep. well now we have to unpack it. Honestly, listeners, if you're considering or you're wanting a therapist, check out sex therapy. That shit will break your back. It it really will. And it's also, I think I learned how to be kind to myself mm-hmm. and actually like, I, I don't know, like the nuances of sex and intimacy. And especially if we've had childhood trauma or trauma of any kind and romantic intimacy just speeds things up. Like if, mm-hmm. if the desire to get the love that you didn't have, or that's kind of like on 10 to prove that, you know, if the person broke up with you to prove to this partner that you're, you know, you're worthy, that's on 10, like mm-hmm. all the different traumas you have or the stories you're telling yourself, there's something so crazy about romantic intimacy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, folks, sex therapy is just not for, like a Showtime soft porn nymphomaniac or a bad lifetime movie from the mid 2000s. You really dig into some real shit and it's, it's super beneficial. Right now, my therapist has me reading the book set boundaries, find peace. 
Uh, Ooh, good one. Just, good one. I'm only like 28 pages in. Just from reading the introduction of the book, I was like, yo, first and foremost, fuck this author. But also at the same time, they write. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, is it, nah, it's, you write. It's, it's Nedra Tawab, right? Uh, yes. 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 Don't follow her at the same time while reading the book because it's it, you, you get she's so right all the time. You're like, just shut the fuck up, Nedra. Like, I like God, like I let me just wallow in self-pity today. Like, God. I don't remember what it was anymore, but I remember there was this one session I had with my therapist where she said something that was one of those, one of those things that like I do therapy through Zoom. And when she said it, I slid down in my chair so much that she couldn't see me on the camera anymore. And she's like, Chris, are you there? I'm like, first and foremost, go fuck yourself. (laughs) But like, you're right. You're right. But also how I want, I I know I texted it to a friend. I'm going to find it. I'll find it. I'll find it. But it was something where she told me, I was like, God damn. That, that hurt my feelings how much I needed to hear it yeah but at the same time how I don't think I'm going to be able to find it no just yeah. send it to me up there and I'll put it in the episode notes because clearly this episode I don't even know what the outline is anymore and we're just telling everybody everything and you know uh, this is so- this is balancing we'll circumvent to the darkness that is TLC actually I think we're kind of on brand when we start talking about I was about- about to say this is balancing how unhinged we started <laughs> with being like <laughs> Hey, listen, we we caping we caping for some bad people, but hey, we're working on ourselves. Literal, like Tom Cruise, his deity and the miscavige guy, like literal human rights abuses. And I'm like, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part One, Dolby Cinema, IMAX. That's dark. And so it's, maybe I need like a third therapist. I don't know. It's the same thing with like, I'm a huge fan of the Fast and Furious movies. I fucking Chris, love those movies. Chris, but that's fucking cinema. cinema. Paul Walker, like a whole ass pedophile. A whole ass pedophile. And like ever since, because I found out about that shit super late. Like super literally. It wasn't even like I was avoiding it or I heard it. Like I literally I just did never not, knew. I never knew until like the last year or so was when I found out. And I've only seen up until seven. I haven't seen eight, nine, ten, or Hobbs and Shaw. And like, Loki, I'm glad I didn't hear this news until after I saw seven. <laughs> like, I was, I was able to. <laughs> like, no, seven's not the one. Is seven the one where that's a CGI him and his brother was his body double? Yes. That yes. was such a good one. <laughs> that was that was a very. Because, okay, so, like, because I remember the first two movies came out when I was a a kid. Street racing was, like, so intertwined with hip-hop that it was, like, fuck yeah, this is amazing. Need for Speed Underground came out. I was playing the shit out of that. The third one came out, never saw it. Fourth one came out, didn't give a fuck. Fifth one, so on. I was, like, why are they making so many of these movies? And then, finally, Mm -hmm. I was randomly, like, because I had some homies who did comedy. Talk about yeah. how much they love the movies. And I was like, y'all ironically, com- y'all are comics. Yeah. Like you're just this, you're saying you're unironic, but it's ironic. It always is. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'll watch the movie. So I watched four, could not finish it. Yeah. Four, you know, it has I a watched moment. Five. Five and I saw perfect. five. And I was like, I mean, sure, I was entertained, but like <laughs> it's not that Ocean's it's Eleven not- shit. It's not a good movie, okay? It's not good, but like, yes, I was entertained. Like, if you like basic <laughs> action, sure, it's entertaining. You were in denial. And then I watched <laughs> six, and I was like, so. I mean, like, I enjoyed it. <laughs> Did I enjoy the movie? Yes, I enjoyed the movie. This still isn't cinema, though. Like, I don't understand why there had to be seven of these, but like, <laughs> sure, I enjoy. Okay, arrest me. I enjoyed I, it. 
I get then I saw it. seven. I was like, this is the greatest crit. movie season has ever been made in, of all time. This is peak American cinema. And I will fist fight not only anyone who says and disagrees, but their entire family, starting with the oldest to the youngest. I will fight anyone who disagrees. I will die on this hill that this is the best piece of cinema of any country of all time. Uh, true story. Now that we're talking about this, I literally think I started this podcast just so I can talk about my love for Fast and Furious. I thought I needed like to go to a group therapy because it was bad. I saw six three times in the theater. Holy theaters. shit. And I don't even think Vin Diesel said more than six words. It was just like that writer's room was on fire. Okay. They're a billion dollar franchise, not because it's gimmicky or camp. It's that Ocean's Eleven twist and five. That shit was, mm -hmm. I'm like, this is not them fooling me. You know, it was so, like, I'm a fan. How dare you disrespect me and not put me in that plot? Like, it was so good. They started with five, got a lot better at it with six, and then perfected so, yeah. it with seven, where they realized, okay, you're in the theater because you just want to see cars, explosions. The Rock flexing and like some women twerking, and like even uh, then twerking's on the bottom of the list because they're like exactly. you guys just want to see the cars, the explosions, and the rock. Like that's really what you want to see. I think the twerking montages kind of topped it. Tokyo Drift because the song they played during that time was such a good song. Like and... if you really think about how much on paper, quote unquote. Yeah. This movie is quote unquote geared towards men. Obviously, everyone loves these movies. Like on paper, these movies are quote unquote geared to men. With how much it is, it's kind of surprising how little amount of sexual stuff there is. Oh my gosh. Movies. There's obviously yes. there's still objectification and all that, obviously. Of course. You know, this is a patriarchal society. You're not gonna escape that. But they're really like, the writer's room is just like, yeah, and then a truck blows up and it shoots up into space. And then Tyrese <laughs> is yelling because that's just Tyrese is whispering. And then also the rock flexes so hard that he breaks his cast. And some guy's just like, yeah. And then there's an ass shaking. And the other guy's like, sure. But most importantly. <laughs> I, want, I want a full on tank to get dismantled by crushing into the rock. Like That's the when I knew. That's when I knew this was the best movie series in that scene where they're driving on the highway and it's with the tank and Michelle Rodriguez is hanging <gasps> on the barrel. And then the guy's like, I'm going to kill Michelle Rodriguez, the bad guy. And he like <laughs> makes her fling in the air and Vin yes. Diesel takes his car, crashes it into the railing and he flies out because obviously he's not going to be wearing a seatbelt. And then no. flies in the air, catches Michelle That's Rodriguez, which perfect catch. By the way, it's physics. It's physics. Perfect catch. And then lands on a car hood with Michelle Rodriguez intact. The car is completely damaged. But of course, Vin Diesel and Michelle Rodriguez are completely unharmed. And Michelle Rodriguez, looking up to Vin Diesel's eyes, goes, How did you know that we were going to fall on a car? And Vin Diesel, with a straight I, fucking face, goes, I did it. I did and it. I stood up in my home and I was like, This is the best goddamn movie series of all time. No, Christopher, do you have a middle name? No, I do not. Christopher Mejia, the theater, first of all, I was that person that was clapping. I've never done that. I've never, it's it's against, still to this day, I think it was involuntary, but there mm. are people cheering. Like it was Amistad. Like, I don't know what was going on. Like it was amazing. And I went back two more times just to get to that scene and, and me pretending like I don't know what's coming. That is cinema, okay? Oscar, Peabody, Tony, Graham, like they were robbed. Every person I've talked to about this movie series, when they're just like, okay, like, Chris, I get it. You like to talk in a lot of hyperbole. So, like, I know at deep down you're joking. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. This is a great movie. And they're still hesitant. There's two scenes I describe that gets them to be at least a little bit open Interested? to the movie series. That's one of them. And the other Pop. scene is when I'm, like, straight face. The Rock sees an explosion from a hospital because obviously they're going to conveniently have the battle near within viewing distance of the same hospital The Rock is at. And he looks at his daughter in the movie, stands up, goes, daddy's got to go to work. And then flexes so hard that he breaks his arm cast 
and then immediately starts arming himself. If I don't get them with the tank scene, when I say the cast thing, I just, <laughs> people are dead ass like, okay, Wait. I'll watch it. <laughs> or in the same movie, in the same movie, fucking Vin Diesel is fighting Jason Statham and stomps on the ground of a parking garage, which then causes the parking garage floor to crumble to level. and collapse. And that's not even the most unrealistic thing. That it really isn't. Movies. And you're telling me you haven't seen eight, nine or 10 or Hobbs and Shaw. Hobbs and Shaw is literally the most brilliantly absurd movie I've seen. Yeah, I need it, to watch it. So it's, it's just but, eight was not on a streaming platform for the longest time. That's right, why I that's haven't true. seen them. Cause like it's on YouTube TV, but I'm afraid I'm gonna watch the TV edit and not the actual theatrical right, version. Right. So I just gotta, I just gotta one day just be like, fucking, I don't care. I'm going to pay to rent eight, watch eight, watch Hobbs I, and Shaw, I did. watch nine, watch 10, because those movies are truly, it's good because you're supposed to go into the movie, turn your brain the fuck off, and yeah. just, it's a movie roller coaster. It's not meant to be substance. It's not meant to make you think. It's literally just, this is all spectacular. And each movie does a good job of one-upping itself on how absurd the action can get and just all you need to do going into this movies is just promise the movie that you will allow reality to no longer exist. Like you have to just allow <laughs> yourself to believe that in, we are in a universe where all of this shit is somehow yeah. feasible. I also, at the same time, how can you not be entertained by the fact that Tyrese's character keeps saying his name Roman a lot? He just calls himself Roman all of the time. And I think that's not because they wrote that in the script, but because Tyrese pegs me as a dude who keeps calling himself Tyrese when he's <laughs> acting. So he has to say Roman. So he reminds himself I'm playing a character and I'm not actually being myself. They have to write it in because if you cut out everyone else and you just put a reel of Tyrese's scenes, like I couldn't tell what's Instagram story and what's an Instagram live and what's the film because it's it's all continuous. It's all on the same tape. But to anchor your your former point, I honestly think there is substance. I mm -hmm. really do think, you know, it's about family and the way that they you know what where they got my respect when we moved into the american foreign policy of it all when we introduced shaw and when yeah in six there was this they weren't talking about it like it's white house down you know what i mean like you're like wait you do you know what the fuck you just said like there's no definition for that term but I think that it showed they actually had probably consulted on there because the way they were talking about American foreign policy, even yeah. since like six, seven and eight, I was like, no, <laughs> talk about realism like, right now. I saw on TikTok this podcast clip where these dudes were talking about how in the second Fast and the Furious movie, Ludacris is just this dude who like his side hustle. He has a main yep. day job. But his side hustle is organizing street races out mm -hmm. of a garage and in facilitating Miami. an environment where people can street race. And he makes money off of that. He goes from that into the second movie into like ha hacking the Pentagon. And like, like Stephen Hawking? Movies. He goes, he becomes Stephen Hawking? He's black Stephen Hawking. Also, first movie was 2001. And I want to say it was pre-9-11. And see, let me double check. Yeah, it was a summer movie. I was 14. Yeah, 2001, June. June, so pre-9-11. And you can tell this was made in a different time because the entire movie, or most of the movie, revolves around the street racers preparing for a meetup of illegal street racers from all around <laughs> who were going to meet up to race each other on an abandoned airfield and they called, <laughs> hey, Chris, what did they call this event? What would they call an event where a bunch of street racers would race? And, like, the name probably doesn't have any 
couldn't be mistaken as anything else negatively. Right, right, right. It was literally called Race Wars. <laughs> People in this movie being like, yo, y'all ready for the race wars? <laughs> it's like, oh. Chris, the America was like, this is a reasonable thing to call this. <laughs> the director's name was Mook G. Like he was part of the McDonald's new menu item. It, that's anything that's directed by Mook G is yeah, race wars themed on brand. It was, anyways, all of that to say, best movie series of all time. If you haven't seen it, you gotta, you gotta watch it. It's so, you know what? This is inspiring me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get off my ass and I'm gonna finally watch eight because I want to, yes. I want to see Charlize Theron fuck shit up. She's amazing. She's an underrated action star, in my personal opinion. Yep. Mad Max Fury Road is one of my favorite movies and she fucking, crushes it in that movie and she's obviously been in way more action films i just can't remember but i want to see her and then i don't even remember what nine nine was the first one with john cena right yes nine was a john okay. cena yeah and yeah. then 10 they bring in fucking what's jason Momo- like the the he jason momoa you guys he cannot act and we need to stop putting these actors and giving them first rights that shuts doors to other actors who actually can do the work. And I also stop don't giving think, these scripts to Jason Momoa. I don't think Jason Momoa is a step up from John Cena. He's the John Cena of color. Like there, uh, there it's, it's like a lateral, it's like I a guess. lateral, it's like yeah. a lateral move. John Cena, like, you know what? Because Dwayne The Rock Johnson set such a precedent. Mm-hmm. And even though I find him utterly debilitatingly annoying, the dude can act mm-hmm. and he can wield his capital and he has the following, you know, has good people around him. And you could just tell, like, is he neurotic and all that stuff? Of course. But basically, all the carbon copies tried coming out and then they realized, yeah, I just don't have it. So they'll try every which way, read every script, do any fucking movie that's presented to them just to think that they get on the rocks level and they can't. And Jason Momoa, like, I guess we can blame racism, but <laughs> John Cena, the this man's on his IMDb, he did a film called Blockers of him being a suburban dad trying to stop his daughter from losing her virginity to oh, yeah. Peacemaker. Peacemaker, like a very canon comics and then like pick a fucking lane do you want to do drama or do you want to do romantic comedies or do you want to do just absurd campy action movies like i will say peacemaker was fucking lit that was a good show i heard that i just felt like it could have been we didn't need john cena there it could have been better it was very random for sure they went in not thinking it was going to do as well as it did yeah it was very much you can tell nobody believed in the show because yep. it very much felt like they were able to do whatever the fuck they wanted. And it felt like HBO was like, y'all ain't getting in the second season. No one's going to watch this shit. So whatever, like no one's yep. going to watch your show anyways, do whatever you want. And then, Hey, turns out when you like creative people do whatever the fuck they want, they can make some great shit. If you actually Go let figure. them do their thing, and don't exactly. fucking have executives getting their stupid ass notes because they think they know what people like, which is like, sure, they might know what middle of bumfuck America likes. No offense to middle of bumfuck America, but also uh, at the, a actually, yeah, full offense, full offense, offense like, to y'all, <laughs> full offense to y'all. But at the same time, it's like, no, the best art comes from when you let people be completely off the rails. For example, in the talk show round, Shout out to Jesus Amaro, one of the best, if not the oh, best, and actually, yeah. in my opinion, the best late night talk. Uh, one of the best, because Z-Way is also fucking fire. Z-Way uh, is number one. Yeah, so top three. Jesus Amaro, top three, late night talk show, and they were the best when they were on Viceland, because Viceland- No one cared, yeah. No one cared. They let them cook. On Showtime, you could tell they were holding back a little bit, but Viceland, it was like- Viceland was like, hey, here's some toys. I'm going to go pick up some bread. I'll be right back. Just don't burn down the house. And then exactly. as soon as they left, Jesus and Meryl just told everybody to suck their dicks from the back. 
And that's what made that show so good. And it's just proof of if you just let creative people do their thing, it's going to be great. I think it's rare because these execs think, you know, the formula, if it's a series or movie or whatever, like the fact that it has millions of followers or it garnered this much and made their shareholders so much richer, it's rare that the combination is real genuine talent in acting what's on the page and it drawing big crowds. Majority of those times we're, we're banking on someone's resume and we could have a whole discussion on why is Brad Pitt? He has a level of capital that he has when he's giving hooked on phonics acting. But when you're thinking about money and Mm. profit, it's rare that you'll sit and like, Hmm, this actually has nuance. It actually has depth. Let's just let people the craziest idea, this shot in the dark. You don't even know if this idea is going to work. Let's just try it out and see what happens. Right. And oh, it made money. And now they come in acting like they, oh, we, we always do it, be successful. Right. And now we're giving it season two and three and it'll, and it'll have a bigger budget. And then John Cena is going to be panicking. He's like, well, now I have to act. Right. Perfect. <laughs> Other perfect examples include... In the movie realm, everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, I have not seen that. Stop. Do not watch that movie <laughs> in public. It's going to emotionally eviscerate you. Oh, gosh. No, I have. It's been on my Paramount Plus watch list for months. So go into it. I felt like as I'm not emotionally prepared. Oh, yeah. I don't know anything. Okay. But I know it's going to elicit guttural, visceral yeah. reactions. And my cocktail on my antidepressant medicine, like just mixed. So I think I'm ready now. I'm, I'm stabilized to be able to consume it now. It's going to, I fucking watched it. I watched it on a plane and I was doing that controlled sobbing where like, (laughs) which first and foremost, I'm not anti being emotional. I'm, I'm a cancer. I'm all about being emotional, but it was like, you can't, there is something wrong with crying on a plane. Like, yes, and there's, and you don't want to explain. Yes, yeah, yes. you're too crammed. This is the only thing I'll say in the movie. In the very beginning, the main couple, they're walking into the IRS office, and mm-hmm. Michelle Yeoh's character is married to, I forget the homie's name, and she's very mean to him and always mm-hmm. is angry at him and all of that. There's complex reasons why it goes, mm-hmm. you know, learn in the movie. But when watching that and seeing how much he was being kind of, I don't want to say mistreated, but always taking the brunt of the punching bag. Yeah. Yeah. Being, there we go. Being the punching bag. This was while I was still in my last relationship. So I was like, I don't know. And there's a part where they're walking into the IRS office and while walking in, the guy looks over and sees an, an old elderly Asian couple where the, the man is like getting up, and the woman like gives him a hug, like his wife, his elderly wife gives him a hug or something and then kisses him. And it's just this moment of sweet embrace. And then it cuts to the man's face and he looks really sad and his face screams. That's a level of affection that I'm never going to receive from my wife. And when I saw that, I I resonated with that so much because then I thought, oh, that's a level of affection I'm never going to receive from my girlfriend. And then I paused the movie and I just sat in silence for like, Five minutes and I was like this this movie's gonna this movie's gonna kill me uh so I'm not gonna watch that anytime soon it's good you gotta watch it but it is like plot out time to watch it and then also afterwards allow yourself to to be alone from the ugly to re-enter my body to re-enter my body and remember all the coping skills that I've learned I will say this I think sci-fi is the best genre of film or TV, because in the very nature of its title, you have license to go as crazy and to be as imaginative. So what we wish would go across all kind of genres of film and television. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think we've just been most talking about films. Sci-fi, it's like embedded. You go in knowing that you can be as crazy and mm-hmm. you can go as crazy. You can be as awkward and unique and deeply emotional and in a way that because it's sci-fi it tempers like you can connect with that scene and it's like super tender but you're like but yeah I'm still you know but it's still sci-fi it's it's still this you know what I mean but 
it's such a really cool and creative way to allow yourself to feel the big things and to really connect to the essential message of love and community and loss like annihilation have you seen annihilation no, that's the one with natalie portman right yeah natalie portman alex garland like i have two favorite directors for drama christopher nolan and sci-fi is alex garland Anaya fucking lation dog like oh he made 28 days later Alex Garland yeah yeah oh I and fucking love 28 days later I never saw I never saw Ex Machina but I Ooh. I'm really bad at watching movies I'm really bad at it so like when there's a movie that interests me and I hit the point where I know I'm never gonna see it uh-huh. I just read what happens online okay um, that's fair so like I read what happened. I'm like, actually, I'll do that. And I'm like, oh, damn, I actually would have loved to see this. <laughs> that sucks. Don't rob also, yourself I, of those moments. I still know I'm never going to see it. So I'm like, at least I know True. what happens and I can now know this is a good movie. Uh, right. Oh, also, he made the movie Dread and I fucking loved the movie Dread. Really, really good. And I I love the films where these really cool little, these creative nerds, we have to appeal to the the capitalism of this Mm -hmm. so I can make the money to be able to do Ex Machina, to be able to do Annihilation. Uh, I I love that negotiation in film filmmaking. I was legit talking about this with a homie of mine the other day of how frustrating it is Mm -hmm. that we can't actually just do our dream. We have to be good at something else first to then be able to be allowed to do our dream. And the example- Or, uh, or wait, hold on, an addendum, or be white. I just want to remind my Yeah, it helps to be white. If you're not white, you got to be good at something else first. Exactly. If you're white, people (laughs) are going to take a risk. All right. I hope you enjoyed part one of Starts the T and Rhymes with Drama. Don't worry, part two will drop next Thursday, August 10th, bright and early, and you get to and you can hear the rest of Chris's unhinged takes. And I hope you're enjoying the first two episodes of Dumpster Driving Intellectuals. Thank you so much. See you next week. I'm only happy when it rains. I feel good when things are gone.